Hi, everyone. Welcome to Aberrant Behavior. I'm your host, Christabel. Welcome to another episode uh, where we would be talking about ways in which we can further unlearn and grow and become more conscious beings. But before we start, I want to say that I am super grateful for everyone who is listening. I don't take it for granted. I've been at home for the last month because with COVID, what has happened, at least on the West Coast, is there aren't a lot of COVID patients anymore, uh, but the stay in pl- shelter-in-place order is still in place, and there are not, no elective surgeries being had. So the census, meaning the number of people who are coming into the hospital, is incredibly low, so nurses are having a hard time finding jobs. And I'm a travel nurse. I don't have a full-time position. So that means that, uh, yeah, I haven't worked for a month. I have different feelings about it. But above all else, I'm super grateful that it's given me this time and opportunity to really do this work and start the podcast. And so I don't take you for granted at all. Also, I'm super grateful that I was able to work really hard um, save up some money and I can afford to do this without like pulling my hair. But there's still some anxiety about, you know, just not having a job. <laughs> so, yeah, but let's let's get started. Right. Uh, I was thinking of what to title this podcast and I haven't arrived Yeah, I haven't arrived at a title yet. I probably will uh, before, I mean, I definitely will before (laughs) I publish this episode. But basically what I want to talk about is ego, uh, subconscious conditioning, uh, childhood trauma and how that conditions us, uh, the conditioning we received from our parents, how that impacts us on a very subconscious level that we're often not, you know, we're not aware of. So yes, just a conglomerate of like subjects that um, learning about has really changed my life. And as always, I'm only speaking from my personal experience and some research, but I'm not a psychologist. I am not a therapist. I will be in like 10 years, (laughs) Uh, but I currently am not, but I'm very, very interested in just human psychology, how we operate with the ultimate aim of living fulfilled lives, living life that has definitely has sadness and joy and crying and laughter, but overall living life from a conscious space. Um, And not just letting our subconscious drive our every action, not letting our uh, conditioned patterns drive how we are. So I'm going to start about how I first took interest in this, in just figuring myself out, getting to know me on a very deep level. It started off, I've talked about this before, I had incredible anger issues. I was uh, violent. I had violent tendencies. I just was a mess. Um, I had a lot of uh, just depressive episodes that led to self-harm and suicidal ideations and just a general uneasiness, a general 
angst as my approach towards life. And one day, well, several days led up to me saying I had had enough because even when I would be acting out, even when I would be acting out of my anger or when I would uh, take out um, that anger on on myself or on others, I always felt bad. I always felt bad after the fact. And like, I just, I knew I wanted to change. I would promise myself, okay, Christabel, next time around, we're going to do better. We're going to approach this differently. We're going to really, really just do this. I would promise myself that over and over and over again, but every single time, well, maybe not every single time, but maybe 90% of the time, I could not keep that promise. And it was very frustrating. And I just wanted to figure out how to change behavior, change my patterns in a way that was long lasting and um, impactful. And that's what when I started therapy. Therapy was uh, one component of my healing journey for sure. But um, I also started reading a lot. Uh, I gained, I was so curious. I'm still so curious, so much so that I am going to be, I am working towards pursuing a PhD in psychology because human behavior is just incredibly fascinating to me. Um, some of the some of the things about me um, that I, you know, began to realize when I did a deep dive was and or some of the questions I had when I began to do a deep dive is where was this extreme codependency I had coming from? Why did I feel so much? Ah, oh, man, I basically like went from relationship to relationship from 16 to 34. I was in a relationship for probably 17 of those 18 years, if my math is right. Basically, what I'm saying is that there was probably only six months or a year in there that I was not in some form of a relationship. Uh, Usually really long-term relationships, usually relationships that had run its course, but I did not know how to leave. I could not leave. I felt an incredible attachment. So I wanted to figure that out. Where was that coming from? Um, What was I seeking in others? So another thing I wanted to figure out was why I took things so personally. Why does someone else's action always have to do with me? Why is it always they did something to me? They they intentionally did not, you know, love me the way that they know I'm, I want to be loved. They are just basically like whatever anyone did, especially those I was in romantic relationships with, it was all about me. And um, one of the books that really helped me in trying to figure that out is uh, The Four Agreements. If you haven't read, read it, I will include a link. I love that book. And it mentions these four agreements that we are to make with ourselves. The first one is don't take anything personally. Second one is, um, no, I have that wrong. 
First one is be impeccable with your word. The second one is don't take anything personally. The third agreement was, is don't make assumptions. And the fourth is always do your best. I can do a whole episode on just like, you know, talking about all those different things. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're just going to talk about like, don't take anything personally, because that was something that I really struggled with. It always seemed like when people did something, they were out to hurt me. And a personal example, really recently, or within the last year that happened to me was that my wife cheated on me twice uh, within the span of a year. And I mean, obviously, like who wouldn't think like, oh my gosh, why are they doing this to me? Uh, We just got married. We threw this lavish, expensive wedding and they just did not love me enough to stick by the commitment they had made to me. They're such a selfish, horrible person. Um, They must be out there gallivanting in the world, happy-go-lucky while I lay in bed crying every day. And, you know, the worst part for me was that they remained with the person that they cheated on me with the second time. So I just thought that meant something about me. And I had so much anger about that, so much pain, because underneath the anger was just pain. I had so much pain and so much hurt. Uh, because literally the whole experience, I made it about them, them, them. I never took the time. I did not take the time to figure out what I could learn from the experience, what I needed to change in, you know, in myself uh, to enable me to be in relationships where I did not tolerate, um, as much bullshit, (laughs) as I typically do before it gets to the breaking point. So it wasn't until I made the determination to work through that narrative I had. I brought it up in therapy. I said to my therapist, I'm in pain. I am in so much pain because all I can imagine is them together. All I can imagine is just how... I had loved this person and they obviously never loved me. And so like I had so much pain around that. So I took it up on myself to bring it up in therapy for us to really work on it. Um, And when I started working through that, I noticed a few things. One of the biggest things I noticed about myself when I embarked upon doing this work was that first of all, that reaction I had, the pain, the hurt, came from a deeply wounded place. It came from childhood, the feeling of abandonment and the feeling of not being loved came from specific and consistent childhood um, traumatic experiences. So when this happened, it just damn near broke me. And mind you, I had been in therapy for five years or about four years, you know, when this happened. So you would think I would be able to pull out like all these tricks and, and, you know, just like have a way to get through this expeditiously. No, 
months had gone by and I was still in so much pain. And so when I took upon, you know, when I started doing the work surrounding, um, learning where the pain comes from and why it was so intense, a few things I learned was that um, my, I had a serious lack of boundaries in love and relationships. I just felt that having boundaries meant that um, there was no love. Like you can't love someone if you had all these boundaries, uh, if you said no to them all the time. If my, my thinking was if I was available and whether I wanted to do it or not, if my partner asks me to do something, I would say yes. That was what love meant to me. And so being able to trace that thought pattern to my childhood enabled me to see that I was recreating um, or I was, I was trying to create a love that I wish I had growing up. A love, a love that my mom just wouldn't say no to me as much as she did. A love where if I wanted something that wasn't a necessity, she would get it for me. So I, I try to recreate that over and over and over again by just giving and giving and giving, regardless of whether I wanted to or not. And I didn't know that I had resentment because here I was with someone who wasn't like that. In fact, she was quite the opposite. She could say no <laughs> in a heartbeat, no problem. If she didn't want to do something, she didn't do it. And so there was just this constant, like basically um, reopening a wound that was so deep and so so deep that it had become a part of my consciousness that I had developed patterns to try to protect me from feeling abandoned. And, and it just caused a constant clash. So yeah, she cheated on me. But before that happened, there had already been these situations that I hadn't been handling because I didn't know. I didn't know about them. It wasn't obvious to me. It just felt natural. Who says no to someone they love? Like, <laughs> to some of you, that might, might sound incredulous, but that was my reality. You did not say no to someone you loved unless you were physically unable to do whatever it is that they're asking you to do for them. And... You know, I get kind of like annoyed by how deeply embedded some of this stuff is. Like whoever made the world and whatever, like whatever that's about, I just feel like they didn't need to make it this hard to figure this stuff out. Like here we are just going through life. 90% of our actions are driven by subconscious patterns. Like, I feel like that's a little sinister, <laughs> but that's just an aside. So 
these things that felt natural to me and felt like just my personality. I, I identified strongly with being just a generous person turned out to be patterns that were not serving me. But if I hadn't done the work to try to uncover it, I would never have known that it was something that I was doing subconsciously. So that was one thing. The other thing I discovered uh, by doing work specifically around how I am in relationships is my lack of self-love came to the surface big time. And it ties back in with that lack of boundaries thing. I, I always would just take what I got, what was given to me, because I didn't believe I deserved more. I wasn't showing my partners how to love me. And again, this extends past my romantic relationships, but because romantic relationships have been such a big part of my life, that's when I, that's where I have, have a tendency to learn the most. So my lack of self-love tied in with my lack of boundaries and my inability to respect boundaries. So I was constantly hurt. I didn't believe people loved me. I um, didn't know how to love myself, thereby I couldn't show other people how to love me. And another thing was that blaming, I realized that blaming the other person absolved me of any blame. Like I wouldn't have looked for any room for improvement if I had just stayed they're the one who cheated. They're the problem. They're a liar. They're a cheater. They're horrible. They don't love me. Cancel them for life. <laughs> That's what Instagram will tell you. You may hear in passing, it takes two to tango. But when something like this happens, you, you, you're just searching for those memes that confirms that they're a narcissist or that they have narcissistic tendencies or that they just are broken people. Don't let them into your life. Cut them off. It never really stops to say, like these advice never really stops to say, how did I contribute to this situation? Sure, the person's uh, shortcomings is different from mine. I, my shortcoming is not lying or cheating. It's just not. That's not, that's not, you know, something I struggle with. But I have other things. And so to sit on my uppity chair trying to determine which um, coping mechanisms or adaptive techniques based on past trauma is better than which was just wasting time I could have been spending working on myself. When I did the work and continued to do the work, I was able to gradually let go of the anger. When I let go of the anger, I just realized that that other person is just a human being going through life through the lens of their unique pains, trauma, and conditioning. And literally, zero percent I don't know if I can say zero percent but very 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 little of what they do is was about me 
damn near 0% of what anyone does is about us. And, you know, some of this stuff sounds super intellectual, like book, book knowledge. And it's not until you begin to do the work. It's almost like even when you begin to do the work and have been doing the work for some time, you don't realize that the work is working because it's so gradual and so just like at a snail's pace. It will feel like one day you woke up and suddenly are no longer angry. Like you're angry, 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 angry. You're hurting, 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 hurting. But you're doing the work, you're doing the work, you're doing the work. And then one day you're like, oh, I can actually see them walking across <laughs> the parking lot and my heart did not drop. When did that happen? Because, yeah, we worked at the same hospital still, even after everything happened. But literally, I remember I would dread coming into work not knowing if I was going to see their car in the parking lot. It, it, it just it was like that. It was like that. Then it wasn't. It felt miraculous to me. Like, seriously, it felt miraculous to me. But it wasn't because I, I kept every single um, therapy session every single week. I was talking about these subjects with my getting free, the women's group I belong to. I, I, I would constantly, we would have conversations like this. Um, I was following a bunch of psychologists on Instagram. I'm following a bunch of psychologists on Instagram and I, I read books. I read books like, um, you know, um, the four agreements. So, and I was journaling, I was meditating. I was, I was doing the work, not always consistently, but I was still doing it. So this change in my feelings about the matter that seemed to be, you know, a sudden, a sudden um, miraculous change wasn't. It was as a virtue of doing the work to bring my subconscious conditioning to my conscious. I, I, I was able to stop and notice when I would feel a certain thing and ask myself, why am I feeling this? What, how, can I, how can I not make it about the other person? It was basically like a chant I had. Nothing another person does is about you. Nothing another person does is about you. And I had to just keep reminding myself. I had to keep reminding myself of that truth over and over and over and over again. I didn't just, just go along with my thoughts and, and, and think of them as facts and truth and or even my feelings. I didn't just like think my feelings about the matter that I was, of course, supposed to hate her. And of course, I'm supposed to, you know, not forgive her in that way, because it would it would show that um, I was tolerant of what she what she had done. I'm not saying this this stuff is easy. Um, it's not like at all, but it is incredibly worth it. So this was the work I did around this particular thing that had um, come up in my life. I had heard before, before going through the pain that the infidelity and the eventual dissolution of my marriage, um, I had heard people say, pain is your biggest teacher. And I never truly understood what that meant until I, I, I allowed pain to teach me. 
it was a conscious decision I made to allow the pain not to be in vain, to do the work to figure out how to you transmute that pain into lessons that will forever be beneficial to me. And also really transmute that pain into changed behavior patterns. Um, so what that looks like for me today is my boundary game is not super strong, <laughs> but it's stronger than it's ever been. My self-love and my self-belief is steadily climbing each day. I am able to look after myself. This is the first time in my adult life that I have lived alone. And being able to make decisions like where I'm going to go on vacation, um, which car I'm going to drive, where I'm going to look for a job, if I want to buy a house or not, being able to make those decisions without consulting anyone. Woo. You know, the thing is, I thought I was independent beforehand, but I never really was because I would still factor in my partner's opinions into any decision I made. And so, yes, um, so my boundary game is like on the up and up. My self-love game is on the up and up. My also another unexpected gain uh, from doing this work is that my ability to empathize with people, even people who have hurt me, especially people who have hurt me or especially people who have done things that has caused me pain, my ability to empathize is my biggest and most unexpected um, gain from doing this work. Now I can conceivably look at someone and say, okay, hmm, I don't love the way they're acting, but they're acting out of their conditioning. They are just reenacting subconscious beliefs and patterns about who they are. And I can just empathize with them because I'm able to empathize with myself. When I'm able, when I'm able to say, look at myself and say, honey, yeah, you're sad and you're feeling lonely, but baby girl, we know why, right? We know why. We know how it stems back to your childhood. Here, come, let's give you a hug. This is me talking to myself. Literally, this is how I journal. <laughs> a lot of my journaling is affirmation, but in, in a super lovey, sappy like way, like you would do a baby. Basically, just like retraining myself, reparenting myself, as, as it's called in uh, psychology circles. I am giving myself a lot of hugs. I'm giving myself a lot of pep talks. I'm giving myself a lot of baths. I'm giving myself just like, warm, fuzzy, just cuddles. And when I'm able to do that consistently for myself, the change is, oh, is, is I can, it's something to write home about. Um, and it makes me just um, be able to empathize with other people. And I'm really excited about like that. I'm really happy about gaining that ability. Um, going back to the ego thing, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it was 
this um, misconception that I feel like people have, or maybe it's not even a misconception, but the common definition the definition for ego um, is pride. You're prideful, or you have a sense of self importance. Base, it's it's been it, it's looked at as a bad as a negative thing, but I wanted to highlight the psychological definition of the ego, and that or how it's used in psychology. Ego is part of the you know we have the id, the ego, and the super ego, and the ego is defined as the part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious, and is responsible for reality testing and a sense of personal identity. So um, there's a lot of uh, psychologists on Instagram who do amazing work around ego. A notable one is the holistic psycho, the, the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole. Uh, check out her work. She does such amazing work around ego, how to recognize it, how to witness it, how to not let it make every decision for us. So ego in psychology is a neutral term. It's not a positive or negative term. It's, it's, not, it's not good or bad. It's just what it is. That's it. So through my different studies about the ego, uh, some of the realizations I have made personally about the ego is that it includes, but it's more than being prideful. Um, it is the thing that seeks to protect us. We develop it at a very young age as a way to adapt to our environment. Certain aspects of it do, does, does not serve us anymore in adulthood, but we're often unaware of those aspects. So we keep repeating patterns that was developed in early childhood as a means to protect us or a means to you know, help us survive childhood and not die. We keep those, those aspects around. We don't even know that they're around. So we let it dictate our actions on a regular basis, especially as it pertains to human interaction. And according to the holistic psychologist, when we haven't observed the ego, it takes the driver's seat in our lives. It creates a steady stream of stories in the mind. These stories create an emotional response in the body. The emotional response in the body creates behaviors. Behaviors are practiced responses to thoughts. We then begin to think of these behaviors as our personality, whereas it's not. It's just something we developed in response to our need to manage the perception others have of us. Like, seriously, check out her work, um, how to do ego work. It's everything I've talked about, you know, prior to now is, is around doing ego work. Uh, just like getting that subconscious to the conscious. So we know why we're doing what we're doing. We're able to witness ourselves. We're able to detach from our thoughts. We're able to detach from our thoughts and our feelings. It's, it sounds all super like, at least to me, it did. It sounded all super, uh, like just uh, beyond my understanding. But gradually I have, you know, especially when I see the, the positive effects it has in my life since I have become conscious, it's, it becomes more relatable. It's not just a bunch of words, you know? Um, 
So some of the steps we can take towards healing, some of the steps we can take towards doing the ego work, and some of the steps that I have done or that I have taken and has had the most impact is surrounding, noticing, or bearing witness to our thoughts, not over-identifying with our feelings or our thoughts. Uh, and some of the ways that I that, that help you know, accomplish this is meditation. When we meditate, we are able to sit in silence and witness our, ourselves, witness our thoughts. We can be like, okay, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, but that the, the me that is thinking is not me. It's just my thoughts. And this is, I feel like it's such a weird thing to explain, but that's how meditation helps me. Uh, journaling, I can be able to get my thoughts out. I can look at them objectively and see the patterns that exist, especially in conjunction with therapy. I can see the patterns that we have discussed in therapy, how they apply as I write down my thoughts, be it just writing down, I don't feel loved. I, I, I'm, I know that I'm not loved because this person did X, Y, Z to me. Okay. So I write all, I write that down and then I step back and I'm like, oh, we see a pattern here, Christabel. You've thought this before. In fact, you've thought this a lot. You've thought this a lot throughout your life. So we, okay, so we're repeating the same story. And we know that story is not true. We know, at, you know, at the very least, I, we love you. Like, this is Christabel talking to the inner baby Christabel. I love you. <laughs> so, yeah, this whole nobody loves you thing, not true. And then... Then I, then I start thinking, oh, who else do I know for a fact loves me? Oh, look, my mom. Oh, look, that person, that person, that person, that person. And suddenly, I'm able to just change that feeling, that, that pattern. I'm able to turn it around. So that's how meditation helps me. Um, and, you know, I've, I've talked about therapy. I'm sure I'll talk about it forever. <laughs> uh, but being able to talk through our childhood experiences with someone who is trained in human psychology helps us identify patterns. Why does XYZ trigger me? Um, and, you know, some, some things that we see as facts may not be factual. They are just feelings we have. And the person that we're interacting, interacting with, it might have nothing to do with them. It might just be a deeper childhood wound that we, we can recognize, um, you know, with more therapy, we can easily recognize when those childhood wounds are being triggered. So yeah, meditation, journaling, uh, communion with nature, engaging our senses, therapy, all these things can help us begin to live a more conscious life so that we're not sleepwalking, so that we don't overly identify with, identify with conditioned behavior. You know, I was thinking about this the other day because I saw my birth, um, I was looking at my birth certificate and my mom had me when she was 26 years old. I was 26, uh, how many years ago? Eight years ago. <laughs> Is that eight years? Yeah. I was 26 eight years ago. 
And let me tell you, I cannot imagine having had a baby eight years ago and raising them. But this is what oftentimes happens. Uh, our parents or our mothers happen to get pregnant and then they're raising us and they're imparting all these knowledge and wisdom and, and way, ways of being. They're imparting all these things to us and we take it, we, we, we take hold of it. We hold on to it. We believe them to be true, true and factual. And this is the way you, you're supposed to be and a lot of times, they're just babies raising babies. They're making it up along as they go along. They don't know everything. So that thing we think is inherited, I'm just like my mother, that thing we think is genetics is just conditioning. And it may serve us, right? We may learn to, we may decide that, yeah, that's, that's how we want to be too. I want to be like my mother too. It's okay that I, that I look at life the way she looks at life, but how will you know if it is yours, if you don't do the work to dissect it first? to get to know you outside of these conditioned ways of being. Especially our parents who never uh, talked about psychology and therapy and none of that stuff. They were just trying to raise children, right? And so they just, they just did what they also learned from their parents, so they're not being conscious not to condition their children. They're not being condition they're not being conscious not to put their own own self into their children. They're just they're just parenting the best the way they know how. And a lot of us are as a result of that way of being. You know, something as simple as our desire to be private. Like uh it's it's pretty common. People are like, oh, this is private. Keep private things private. Some of that stuff is literally us repeating what our parents have said over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then you go into the bigger picture of like conditioning on a social level. What our teachers told us in school, what our pastors told us in church, and then it becomes it becomes so evident that so many of who we so much of who we think we are are bits and pieces of everyone who has had any sort of authority over us and i just think that the work to unmap from that is very very liberating something like do i like body hair how do I know I don't like body hair? Like literally, how do I know? Apart from all the ads I see on TV, seeing my mom shave, seeing the boys at school say they don't like uh, hair on their leg, seeing my friends shave. How do we really know that we don't like body hair? And these are, it might seem like minute and like not that important, but these are some of the things that we we basically question everything, question everything, like uh, 
make it a make it a mission to unlearn everything and then gradually you will begin to see the ones that truly truly resonate with you not just the ones you were conditioned to believe and i the goal of all this work why are we doing all this work even though i do think that as i said before it's unfair <laughs> that we have to do this much work but here we are that's the human condition and so yeah here we are the goal of this work as far as i'm concerned or from my point of view is that we can get free from the bondage from bondage from our thoughts and feelings basically making sure that our minds are not our prison um so that we can move through life with intention we're able to witness our thoughts and make associations and own our own shit without ascribing blame to other people. We're able to raise children with a conscious, we, we're able to parent consciously, recognizing when we're imposing our views um, that we may not be sure of on our offspring. I found that when we unlearn conditioned behaviors, we're able to get to know our truest selves. It helps improve our inner peace and well-being, improves our relationships all around. And when we do that, there is just it's just such a liberating place to be. So, let's have the conversation. Let me know if you disagree, agree, um, have questions, need more resources, because I got a plethora of resources and I will link a bunch of them, uh, but there's always more. And I cannot wait. <laughs> Literally, I'm counting down the days till I can apply for a PhD program and the six years of learning that would follow, because I think this stuff is super intriguing and... We hold so much power to live, like, deeply fulfilled lives. Uh, we just have to come to an awareness first. So I wish everyone a happy healing. And until next time, my DMs are open. Let's talk.